Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice and impact. Well, Bidcorp has produced uh, another stellar set of results. Just listen to this. Uh, the highlights uh, at the halfway mark, headline earnings up 18.8% to 3.9 billion rand, while group trading profit was up by 20.8% to 5.9 billion, and uh, it uh, hiked its interim cash dividend by 19.3% to 5.25 cents. Given the environment, and I'm joined now by Bernard Burson, Bidcorp CEO, welcome. I, I recall... Bernard, you tempering expectations late last year because of those record results, saying it would be tough to follow up. Well, you have. So well done. The question is, how broadly in this environment? Well, thanks for that. That's a, that's a great compliment. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, when you look at it, there's nothing There's nothing special. There's nothing that we've done that's new. So we've got a strategy. We've uh, we've, we've explained that and our, our business is very, our people are very tied into the strategy and they've executed on that. And they've continued to execute on that. So we're we're we've got a formula that seems to work that gets tweaked and improved along the way, um, but it works and 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 we carry on doing what we do. So yeah, I'm exceptionally proud of our teams around the world. Now, d- despite some solid revenue growth, uh, if you look through in the divisions uh, geographically in Australasia, trading profit margins have moderated to some extent. Is it just due to uh, costs as you build out in that region? Can you just elaborate on, on the factors behind that uh, margin moderation down under? Oh, I think I actually think it's a case that uh, in, the, in the previous comparative period, it was as good as it got. And there were some unsustainable cost um, release in the previous year. And we, we said that. We said that labor was running absolutely um, unsustainably low because we couldn't fill the positions quick enough. Uh, and, and what we're finding now is we're filling the positions. So the, so the expense base is sort of moderating into the, into the right level. And then on the face of it, the UK division looks to to be battling. We know the UK economy is battling at the moment, but you've outperformed in other economies that are also battling. Uh, a good growth in top line, but a decline in trading profit. What specific measures are being implemented to improve profitability in the UK? Maybe you can just give us a sense of what's happening I think in you, that market. You need to look a little bit deeper at that. And, and what we have done is we've increased the scale of our UK operation very significantly over the last few years. And just in, in, in this six-month period, we opened two large new facilities. And there's a, there's a substantial amount of, it's around about 8 million pounds worth of startup cost, cost duplications and efficiencies that are embedded in our results. We haven't tried to normalize them or take them out or make excuses for them because of what we do. We, we expand up our, our infrastructure to grow into it. Um, so we're very comfortable with where we are in the UK. Obviously, there's a challenge to increase margins to to, to a high level, and we hope to get to 5% in the next few years. Um, but it's very much part of the plan of what we're doing, of, of how we're growing this, the scale of the business, um, which will drag profitability in, in due course uh, upwards with it. Now, Bernard, I know you, you don't cut your way to greatness, as you said in the results presentation this morning. So it's not about just cutting costs to inflate the bottom line for the short term. It's about gaining efficiency through the business over the medium to long term. So with that lens, where are you looking for efficiency gains in the business? Everyone's talking about artificial intelligence at the moment. Uh, are food companies utilizing AI and are you utilizing it to, to gain efficiencies? We absolutely are. We absolutely are. And I think AI is just reality that we all have to get used to and start understanding. And we, we've all got a very basic understanding at this stage. Um, but our, 
we see that the application to us isn't going to be on the expense base. It's absolutely going to be on the on the data we have in terms of the customers who deal with the products they purchase, where those products are coming from, how to maximize the basket, how to give alternatives to customers, how to how to make sure we're selling the right blend of products, uh, et cetera. And, and, and we deal with many, many customers, hundreds of thousands of customers across hundreds of thousands of products. So we're a very data-rich organization, which lends itself to, to getting some type of benefit added out of AI. On the people side, at this stage, two-thirds of our cost base is, is, is people. And a lot of that, at this point in time, is not replaced by technology. We run a fleet of thousands of trucks, tens of thousands of trucks across the world. That's what we do. Technology doesn't change it. AI doesn't change it. Mm. Yes, it can maybe maximize the routing a little bit, which we do pretty efficiently anyway, but it's not going to revolutionize that. So given that, where, where do you see, I mean, if you to apply a capital allocation lens on, on this and, and say, well, where am I going to get the return on investment considering the investment required for AI implementation? How do you go about evaluating the potential ROI of any AI initiatives uh, at this point? Well, I think there's a lot of hype about AI that needs to be moderated and, and, and made a little bit more realistic. And the investments aren't huge from our point of view. There's a lot of data. We have a lot of data. We store a lot of data. We manipulate a lot of data. And we just need to get greater insights into into that data and making sure we, we, we get the benefit of, of having that data and, and utilizing that data effectively. So it's actually, we don't see AI as a, as a huge investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it's incremental spend in the, in the IT environment, um, but it's not a, it's not a mm-hmm. massive change in the, in the business. And would you do that through partnerships uh, rather than building that tech, that tech stack in-house? Uh, because often it, you know, no, we, we, talk, we, we yeah. actually prefer, we prefer to do that in-house. And that's one of the RP advantages that we have. And, and what we have at this point in time is a lot of streams of development going on in various components of the business around the world. And they're all handling small chunks of it. Um, and when you handle a small chunk, you can actually focus and, and get some benefit. Once we once we find the magic formula, then we can roll it out across the world. We can centralize it. We can, yeah, you know, we can do it. We can do that relatively cost effectively, which we've done with most of our tech through the business. And it's a beauty of the strategy, which has relied on a very distributed model, allowing the entrepreneurial teams to go and do what they do best, and then hopefully, uh, get, you know, apply those learnings throughout so the organisation where you can. Um, equally, you, you've scored quite highly in your latest external ESG evaluation. So can you just take me through how you, um, because you're a global organization, how you manage things like scope three emissions, which are those emissions that really are not within your control, suppliers, customers, that kind of thing. It's a very difficult area to, to address when it comes to the, the E in ESG. How are you tackling this? Well, I think firstly, you know, on scope one and two, we've we've made significant strides in, in reducing our emissions and, and reducing our footprint. And we'll continue to, as technology evolves, um, bearing in mind we are dependent on electricity and we are dependent on, on fossil fueled vehicles at this point in time until there are alternatives. On scope three, like you say, it's far more complicated. And I think most people actually don't have a good grasp of what it really means. Uh, and they pay lip service to it and says, we'll, we'll reduce our scope three emissions. I'm not sure how you do that because, yeah, you know, in in our environment we're a wholesaler. We're we're buying and selling product, uh, and that's what that's what we need to do. Consumers need to eat. They need product. Um, if consumers choose to eat meat, that's got a certain carbon footprint. If they choose 
uh, almond milk over over soy milk. There's a there's a carbon differential uh, in the production of those. So we are going down the journey of starting to measure it because until you measure it, you mm-hmm. won't know how to control it. And that in itself is a is a very complicated exercise. Yeah, and uh, I, I guess uh, for our own government, there's a message in that as well. Uh, as we see things like CBAM going up, uh, the the need to address the the carbon intensity of our energy mix is uh, beyond just a, the quickest solution out of load shedding because renewables are, are the cheapest and quickest to build. But it's a long term strategic imperative as well. With that kind of local lens on, and uh, obviously the finance minister's budget today, uh, I'm chatting to you, by the way, before the budget, so we haven't had sight of it yet. What would you like to see? If you were to edify Enoch and put some tips into his fedora as business, what would you like to see from <laughs> the finance so minister? <laughs> Look, I won't be so presumptuous as to say I understand the, uh, the South African uh, economic situation. But what we would like to see some relief for the consumer and some some uh, infrastructure spend in the economy to fix up some of these bottlenecks and, and, and hold-ups um, so that you can actually unleash the true potential of what South Africa has to offer. We've done phenomenally well in South Africa, despite the, the challenges and, the, and the, the, the really tough, difficult economic environment. So, you know, once, once that can get fixed and eased up, um, I think the potential is enormous. Yeah, could you imagine talking about a South Africa growing at four, five, six percent? We become an altogether different proposition. Thank you very much, Bidcorp CEO Bernard Burson, reporting on a very pleasing performance given how tough that operating environment is, with anemic and stagnant and sometimes even negative economic growth in many of its regions here on Classic Business. Classic Business with Michael Avery, sponsored by Alex Forbes, for insight, advice, and impact.